You're listening to. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to. Sex gets real. Sex gets real. Sex gets real. Sex gets real. With Don Sarah. With Don Sarah. Thanks. Bye. Hey, lovely listeners, Dawn Sarah here. We have a really fun, interesting, geeky episode this week that I'm very excited to bring you. Before we dive into that, I am super excited to announce that my annual summit, Explore More, is actually having its first breakout edition, which means instead of the big 10-day, 30-talk summit that I do every spring, which is still happening this coming spring, I'm doing a smaller five-day summit that's all about body politics, self-acceptance, fat activism, diet culture, weight stigma, and shedding body shame. It is amazing. I've recorded all of the talks. They are so fucking powerful. There is something for everyone in there, whether you are brand new to body positivity and you're starting to kind of question diets and this fat phobia we have, or you're really deep into activism, there is something for everyone. And the best part is it's totally free. It happens online. And I would love to see you there. You can go to exploremoresummit.com to see the incredible lineup. And of course, when you register, not only do you get access to our Explore More community, where we do all kinds of really deep conversations, but you also get free workbooks throughout the five days of the summit that are full, and I mean like full, of journal prompts and self-reflective exercises all kinds of amazing stuff that's going to help you really start working through body shame and the stories you tell yourself about your body and ways that you can center pleasure without having to change a thing about the way that you look. So on to this week's episode. It is all about technology. The person that I'm chatting with is Andrea Barica. And she is the CEO and co-founder of O-School, which is an online shame-free platform for pleasure education powered by live streaming and chat to help people unlearn shame, process trauma, and learn about sex and pleasure. Previously, Andrea co-founded YC-backed accounting and tax platform Indonero.com where she led sales and operations, and she served as a venture partner and entrepreneur in residence at 500 Startups, which is one of the world's most active global seed funds. So Andrea has deep ties to Silicon Valley and to tech, and she's decided to move into the sex education space. And we have this amazing chat about creating harassment-free spaces and trauma-informed spaces, how to design software that centers the most marginalized. It is super amazing and super geeky. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed geeking out with Andrea. So here we go. Welcome to Sex Gets Real, Andrea. I am ridiculously excited to not only talk to you, but talk to you on O School's launch day. Very exciting. I imagine you have your hands full with all of these things you've been planning. And I'd love it if we could just start, if you could tell everyone just a little bit about O School, because that's kind of launching today. And this this episode's going to go out two days post-launch. So I'd love for you to just kind of start by telling everyone what you've created. I would love to, Don. Thank you so much for having me. It is a really special day and it's, it's extra special that I get to chat with you. I'm a big fan of yours as well. So O School is a, is a shame-free place to watch sex and pleasure education through live streaming and moderated chat. And so our goal is that anyone in the world with a smartphone can access the most amazing educators talking about sex, unlearning shame, you know, discovering pleasure after trauma, all online and able to to access uh, no matter where you're from or where you live or what access you have to things in your home just in your hometown. Because we know that so many people didn't get access to sex education and that you know, this should be accessible uh, everywhere. Okay, so it begs the question, what kind of sex ed did you get when you were growing up? I didn't receive any sex ed. And, I, and frankly, the sex ed that I received, I would have been better off without any sex ed. 
actually. So I grew up Filipino Catholic. My parents were immigrants from the Philippines. Um, if you don't know, the Philippines is a very Catholic uh, country. And my parents came with very traditional ideas about sex and, and especially purity and virginity. I was told very, you know, I, what, I, what I came to understand growing up in my household was that men were out to get sex. And I was, was supposed to, uh, you know, at all counts, avoid it and protect my virginity right? That they, people would always try to get it from me. And so I was really fed these ideas. Um, I received, you know, Catholic abstinence only education for the first couple of years of school. And then I went to a California public high school. And there I received very fear-based, just, you know, don't get pregnant, don't get these STIs. These are very scary things. And so I, mm-hmm. I was brought up in my sex education, which is a lot of fear and a lot of shame. When did you kind of start finding out that sex was something other than those fear-based messages. Cause I'm always fascinated when people kind of start getting to that place of like, maybe I haven't been given the stuff that I need or like, maybe I don't know the whole story. Like what was that journey like for you? It was a long journey. And I, I think that for me, it came much later in life. I was in my early twenties before I ever even like looked at my own genitals. And even before that I was, you know, really struggling with my sexuality and it was really scary for me to to be queer and to really even explore that side of me because it was not welcome in my culture at all. And so what I ended up doing it was I was like, oh, OK, well, I'll just, you know, I, I was just convinced that I would just kind of be an, be a dork. And I studied a lot and I actually just turned off my sexuality. So my first response was just to say, I just don't have one. And this is not this is not something that I'm going to like participate in at all. And I ended up meeting someone I, I really loved and fell in love with. And we, you know, we ended up getting married really young. So I reacted by just kind of, again, like going the, going the mainstream route, trying to please people in my life. And, and then I got to the point where I started, I, I, a couple books changed things for me. I read Ethical Slut, mm. which was a huge, you know, again, uh, early in my life was something like, whoa, like this is this is there's there are totally different ways of thinking about sexuality and i also just started to uh to come into my own independence as an entrepreneur so i was you know i started my first tech company when i was 20 and so yes that's correct i had started my first company before i looked at my own genitals <laughs> so it and it was hard and it was during this time that i i, I co-founded an accounting software at, at 20 and i was a professional and I was working a lot and it was, it was kind of this hidden buried thing in me. And when it, when it unleashed it, it, I couldn't go back. It was something that my journey to, to find pleasure was something that um, came later for me. And I had a lot of, you know, I had a lot of shame around not knowing sooner that I had to get yeah. over. Cause there is that, you know, there is that, that shame of, Oh my gosh. Like I, I, you know, I was really blessed that I had a partner that did care about my pleasure. And so you know, it wasn't like I wasn't having pleasure, like having sex that felt pleasurable, but I wasn't willing to think about it, talk about it, explore it. It was just very scary. It was a very scary part of my life. And then when that broke down, it was like, what else can we try? And all the things, you know, let's try all the things. Um, And it was while I was kind of in this, this tech world that I started to be obsessed with this, with this question of why isn't this more widely available? Why, why didn't the internet get me this information sooner? <laughs> right. Cause there's Cosmo and then there's porn and <laughs> there's all these things like that, that, that you would expect that the information digital age would have delivered. But you know, I was in a tech company and I was going to live in-person classes to get my, to get education or go to local good vibrations and, you know, asking questions. These were the ways that I actually learned about things because I couldn't talk about it at home or with friends or really anyone. Cosmo, oh, bless, bless it. It it informed so much of my early teen years. You know, like I, I, I considered it my Bible in middle school and my friends and I would pour over it and, and just try to imagine what it would be like when we finally got to the place that we got to have the sex with the you know, the wild positions that Cosmo would always put out. And, and I know like distinctly that I always felt like, well, the only way I can ever have the types of sex that I'm reading about in Cosmo is to lose weight and not be in a fat body. And so it felt like this thing that I, 
I would have to change myself in order to achieve and have the kind of sex that I had been like idealizing and idolizing for just like years and years and years. And then of course, like porn comes along and (laughs) helps to fill in some of those gaps in in a worse way. So yeah, I totally agree with you of just this we kind of have this like mishmash of places where we start getting all this information about like how sex is actually kind of happening and maybe, you know, in quotes, supposed to be. But then there's so many people who don't even realize there's like sex educators out in the world and that there's books out in the world that can help you with all of these things because it just never gets talked about and access is, I mean, you have to like actively look for it to try and find it. And I know that's one of the things that you love geeking out about is like, where do we get all these ideas about sex and why is it so freaking hard for people to find like not only great sex education, but also like ethical pornography and all of these things. And what have you found in just kind of being in these tech spaces around like the internet can literally do almost anything at this point. <laughs> We've got robots for Christ's sake, but we, it's so hard to find good quality information about sex without like digging. Oh, thanks for sharing that, Dawn. I definitely experienced a lot of, of a lot of those same experiences. And that's why it's amazing to me that it's 2017 and it is still a radical idea when I posit that a fully clothed person talking about sex on the internet does not constitute pornography or does not constitute adult content in a way that should be censored. It is amazing to me. And it, it, it's pervasive. It's pervasive. It's pervasive that it's not just, you know, it's not against the law at all, but platforms have a lot of power in this way. And there's two main ways. One is that you talk to most sex tech companies or most people doing sex education. It's very difficult to get an ad approved on Facebook. People oh, know that. impossible for me. Impossible. And also payments, right? And you, I'm sure you, you've experienced this too, right? There is this mm-hmm. sense that this belongs in a different area of the internet. And from a tech angle, it's even more interesting because most of the technology that people know about and use today was driven and innovated on through the adult industry. But it is treated like its own separate sect of the internet that, that you can't really blend with the mainstream. And mm-hmm. it, this is propagated by, by systems. Um, and th- what I usually tell people is the reason we can't have nice things is because of Visa MasterCard, which is one of the big problems. This is where in, you, know, you can be blacklisted for, for being you know, against various legal terms of use whether or not it's illegal in, in various states, and this is based on very vague obscenity laws. So that's one side of things. And the other is that very few people who have been funded and who have founded technology platforms really are have the value system and the lived experiences to fight for these for the, for, to fight for these issues, right? If their investors have a problem with it, if the payment processors have a problem with it. And, and that's why we need more champions to make sure that this content on the internet has a place, right? And that's what I'm really excited to be able to do. I've been working, again, I've been in tech for seven years and it's amazing to me, you know, there's so much challenges, there's so many challenges with fundraising. And the one that's just alarming to me is this is an industry that we both know is huge. By 2025, there will be a hundred billion dollars of sexual wellness products being sold. And the only thing we we can count on investors to do is to be greedy. Yet this is one area of, of business and of the, the world of, of you know, sexual wellness that hasn't been innovated. And we're left with this, this message, which is that, you know, we're not going to provide great, great sex positive education online. We're not going to give you, you know, we're also not going to have any in schools. We're also going to, you know, restrict all the ways that sex educators like you and so many of the other amazing sex educators in the country are doing, we're just not going to create these avenues. And that's why we don't have any nice things on the internet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so frustrating because there's so many people, myself included, doing so many really radical things that don't involve. Now you and I are both super pro porn. So like, you know, I don't think this is the worst thing in the world either. But, you know, for all of us who are doing work in this space, where we're not doing like explicit pornographic sexual content to not be able to do 
Facebook ads or promoted tweets and to like, you know, Patreon's considering banning all sexual content um, on its site. And there's so many people that I know, Andre Shakti, who's been on the show and Sinclair Sexsmith and myself, you know, who one of the ways that we actually can connect with people and exchange money and goods and relationships is through sites like Patreon. So if they were to ban all adult in quotes content, you know, it just makes it that much harder for us to get our voices out. And it's so endlessly frustrating and just like disappointing. Tristan Taramino and I were talking one day about how we should just like create our own bank so that we can just like help fund people who are doing work in this space without them having to have all the like shit-tastic crap they go through with other banks because it's just so sex negative. We also had an idea for this. We wanted to call it Bitcoin. Yes! <laughs> oh my God. I'm so into that. <laughs> so we we definitely we definitely recognize that. And the good news is that I believe now is the right time to change this. And again, my, I come from the other sexy industry, which is accounting and finance. <laughs> that was my first company. And so that's helped me really be able to understand and talk to the founders of these companies and ask them to their face, like, why don't you support this? And typically it's around fear. It's around stigma. But I, what, I, what I tell them is that things are changing you know, tw millennials are twice as likely to identify as LGBTQ. In 2009, single women outnumbered married women for the first time in history. We are at a massive cultural shift right now. And what I'm excited to see are these institutions have to grapple with that, that there should be an area between Planned Parenthood and Pornhub. There just should be. And, yeah. it, and I, I'm agreeing with you. I think porn is amazing. And I think that there needs to be more of it made by totally different communities as well. And also mm -hmm. expecting people to learn about sex through porn is like expecting them to learn how to drive through Fast and the Furious movies, right? We just don't, we just, right. it's just not, it just leads to a lot of the things that many sex educators are, are, are dealing with in their communities. So one of the things that I know you've talked about um, as you kind of moved into this space is it's inevitable that when we're talking about sex, if we're marginalized in any way, if we're a woman, if we're queer, if we're trans, if we're fat, if we're black, if we're, you know, indigenous, whatever it is, and you talk about sex on the internet, like harassment is a guarantee. And I actually have a weekly Twitter chat. And yesterday I had my weekly Twitter chat and we were talking about genitals. And I had to actually put out a tweet that said, just because we're talking about genitals doesn't mean we want to see yours. So no unsolicited genital pics. Because I knew inevitably that talking about genitals, there were going to be someone who felt like this was an invitation to like send dick pics to everyone in the feed. And so I'm wondering, like, how have you kind of grappled with that space around like, talking about sex and social media can be very unsafe and really horrifying for a lot of us. And yet we have to persist because it's kind of the only place where we can. And so like what kind of like thinking or innovating or just kind of questions even have come up for you when you think about that? It's such an important problem. And I would say it's a core and central problem to what we're trying to do at O School. People are starting to realize that the internet is a place just like the sidewalk is a place, right? You, you, we are lucky, some of us are lucky, not all of us are lucky to live in spaces where we can walk on the sidewalk and no one's gonna you know, harass us, right? Of course, this is a thing. But when you, go into, when you go into online spaces, it's almost expected that you will be harassed in certain spaces because of who you are and the things that you choose to talk about. And we have a problem with that at O School. And so that's why we're launching with human moderators from day one which is really different than how a lot of internet communities treat this, which is the community can moderate themselves and you know, justice will prevail if you just let the communities moderate themselves. We, we know that does not work. We know that that is not the answer here. And so we have outlined a collaborative community guidelines and we, that was an evolving living document that we are gonna use internally. But I think people who choose to be on the internet and have a voice, they deserve to, to join platforms that understand that there has to be something done about, about this just pervasive harassment. Like you, like you said, I, I've seen pleasure professionals on O School try to do what they do on other platforms and be almost instantaneously harassed. 
And, yeah. and the saddest part about it for me is that they are so used to it. This is like part of the job description. Like if you want to talk about sex on the internet, then you better get a thick skin. And I think that is sad and, and, and absolutely unacceptable, especially, you know, if you are building in this world and, and what are we going to do about creating places where women and people of color and queer people and indigenous people, all of these people can feel safe. Uh, a good example of this is, are you familiar with Reddit? Yes. Reddit, right? It's a darling of the tech world. It's the seventh most visited website in the world, one of the fo- fourth most visited website in, in America. And, in, and they are still over 70% like white and male the last mm-hmm. time I looked at the numbers. And what that tells me is that the internet's not serving a lot of people. We need yeah. to do better. We need to do better. And so we are a small, tiny startup trying to do what we can and start, you know, and start uh, a movement. But this is a huge problem for us. And I would say it's a bigger problem. You know, streaming to devices all over the world is a hard problem. But I think even more kind of core to our mission is how do we scale that and, and build that without it becoming a cesspool of abuse and harassment? I, yeah, I don't know. And, and my hope, like... I don't know, maybe it's naively optimistic of me, but like my hope is that as people have better access to be having conversations that dismantle the rampant misogyny, sexism, patriarchy, all the other things, isms, you know, like as people have more access to have these conversations and grapple with these questions and explore their pleasure and have the information they need, that like harassment would go down, but I don't know. You know, I guess it's just going to have to be part of the great big experiment that is the internet. <laughs> and I, and absolutely. I, I have this, I share the same dream as you. And also I think that what you and I are trying to do in the world, which is spread pleasure, you know, help people, help people really get in touch with what, what really gives them joy and, and purpose and all of that is, is central to this because I think there's an epidemic of loneliness and toxic masculinity on the internet. We don't talk about how that, you know, many of these behaviors, I think, like kind of are are showcasing just a real need for for people to uh, to talk about their feelings and to have outlets uh, because it's interesting. My so my little brother um, is a huge Internet user and has been kind of calls himself a denizen, you know, a real citizen of the Internet. And and what he explains to me is that most of the people who do this are really looking for validation from their own communities. It's very interesting that this has become their their main. Because I am a big believer in empathy. I'm a big believer in understanding. Like, what could possibly cause people to want to go on the internet and just be assholes all the time? It sounds really <laughs> exhausting to do. And what I'm learning is that you know, what's so confusing to us is that we have love in our lives, and a lot of people they don't, and so they go to the internet to to really you know create. And it's really the reactions of other people that they're looking for. And I'm like, wow, what a sad. What a sad way to um, to to really want to express wanting love and wanting 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 all the things mm-hmm. that 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 funnily the work that you and I are doing are being barred from the internet. So I do believe we're part of the medicine and the solution for it. It's interesting as you talk about that because you know one of the things that I'm constantly talking about on the show and in the work that I do is that like in order for us to actually build like meaningful connections with others and be it sexual or platonic, whatever it is. Like we have to learn resilience for awkwardness, for uncertainty, for having feelings that are maybe really uncomfortable in ourselves or even sitting with feelings from others. And, and there's the kind of this feeling of like, you know, when you go online, there can be these powerful connections that we create and it can also be a place for us to, like feel really sad and lonely and to express her frustrations. And, and I know like you've also done so much work just in the business space. And one of the things you've told people in the past around like building business and, and finding success is like the importance of making mistakes. And for me, that's such a critical part of 
cultivating like meaningful relationships with other human beings and also for like finding our way to what sex means for us on our own terms. Like you have to mess up, you have to try things and get it wrong and then learn from that and grow from it. And I think like so much of the sex ed that we get and so much of the messages we get around relationships right now, at least in mainstream, like there's zero modeling of the mistakes and the discomfort and the uncertainty. And yeah, I don't know. It's just like, we need more spaces where we can all kind of be practicing that. Wow. That's really insightful, Dawn. I, I definitely agree with you. And I, and I really think that what's important, especially for the communities that, that you, that you and I get to be in, which are really privileged communities, like having, being sexually liberated, we are one of the few people in the world. I really believe that. I mean, business stuff aside, like there are more oppressed people in the world than, than sexually liberated people in the world. I've seen that. This mm-hmm. is what I've, I've experienced. And I think what's important to the work that we do that's, that, and why, like you said, creating spaces to make mistakes is so important is that all of us come to our sexuality with a certain amount of things we need to unlearn, yeah. right? Yeah. All of us do. And And one of the things that I say that sometimes can be considered as controversial, but wokeness is a privilege. If you didn't Mm -hmm. grow up in a, in a progressive place, and if you didn't get a higher education degree, it's, it's going to be really, it it would be very, I would say difficult to learn how to um, use the most inclusive language, right? It's, it's, I would say it's a privilege. And so part of us creating these spaces, not only is it to prevent abuse and harassment, but to call in all the people who don't really know a lot about you know how to be inclusive to all the different identities and the different communities but who we can pull in and and help them work through their own kind of issues and then grow the ally community because i think that's a challenge with some people where we are carrying around a lot of pain that we want to that we want to come to issues with a level of you know if they use this language then they obviously don't care about me or they don't share my values and what I've experienced is that there's many, many people that they're, they're also ashamed that they don't know how to use the right language. They don't know how to be with, you know, people of different identities. It's just, I experienced this myself early, um, right? A few months before I started O school, I fell in love with a trans person and I have a Berkeley degree. I've been in progressive circles for a long time and I was amazed at how much I needed to learn yeah. to be able to love someone with an identity that was different than, than, you know, being a cis person, um, mm-hmm. having to just sit in that and to think that, you know, suddenly now that, now that I do have a certain amount of education, it's always still evolving and growing that I have had it, you know, I, I want to create spaces where it's okay not to know the right word. Yeah. It's okay. And it's okay to still want to talk about sex, even if you're not an expert at it, because it can be, it can be really different. And, um, not only for people who don't have education, but just generational differences, right? Like I definitely have met people who don't react to the word queer the way that I feel about the word queer. And that's okay. That doesn't, um, then there needs to be spaces where that's okay to talk about too. Yeah. One of the things that, um, something that really just kind of like shook me earlier this year was I was having a conversation with Betty Martin and she's an amazing educator who's dedicated her you know, multiple decade career to doing hands-on sexual work with folks. And one of the things she said to me is, I don't care if you know the names of your body parts and your anatomy, because you don't need to know the names to tell me what feels good and where it feels good when you can show me or when you can point me in the right direction. Like if you can put your hand on yourself and say, this is my favorite spot to be touched, you don't need to know the name of it. What's more important is knowing that about yourself and not necessarily the language that everybody's telling you, you need to have. And she was kind of saying like, it's more important that, you know, stroking your clitoris in this way is what brings you personal pleasure over being able to say the word clitoris and not knowing how you like it to be touched. And that just made such an impact on me of, I think sometimes you're so right that like, we're so focused on, on language and teaching anatomy and kind of checking those boxes, but are we leaving space 
in all of these conversations for people to even just be curious about themselves. And maybe I don't have the word for the thing my body is doing, but if I know this consistently feels amazing at a minimum, can I just give myself permission to enjoy that and maybe share it with someone? And I just think that's like such an interesting conversation. And, and I love that you say like being woke is a privilege. Um, you know, Feminista Jones, who's, you know, one of my, one of my heroes says like, none of us are born woke. We have to constantly do the work and we have to choose. And not everybody has the privilege to be able to put the time and the energy into that activist mindset basically. And so I love this concept that you're talking about of it being a constant journey. Cause I think that leaves so much more room for all of us to be at different points on it. Right. It's not like you either know, or you don't, it's I'm learning every day. And so you can start too. And we'll just be at different points on the same journey. Absolutely. And that's a really powerful, that's a really powerful story and something that I think a lot of people can relate to in that not everyone wants to nerd out about sex like we do. <laughs> not everybody does, you know, and I, and I, and I see that and I see that in people trying to engage and trying to have more pleasure in their lives. And I'm really excited about the opportunity for O-School to create those spaces because we at O-School don't create any content. We are bringing nothing new to this, to this industry in terms of education or concepts, it's all there. It's all out there. There are people in their communities doing this amazing work. What they don't have is a platform that supports this, this type of content and centers it, which is a really big problem. And that's what I think our job at O-School is to build the technology so that people can find what they need, what, what, you know, and create that destination that's trusted and safe. Like that's where I see our, our, our job. But I, I think from what we just listening to that story, it's like, wow, I want to learn from that person. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. There's all these people that, that it's like, why don't more people know about this? Yeah, I totally agree. That's one of the reasons why I love doing my summit every year is because I feel like it's an opportunity to just like, let's share more stories from more people who have these amazing experiences. And maybe you haven't heard of some of them before. So let's just like make space for having these amazing people tell stories and like rock our worlds and open our minds. And like, that is so my geek space. I just like, Oh, I wish I could listen to it every day. So I'm wondering, you have said in the past that pleasure is resistance or pleasure as resistance. And I'm wondering like, what does that mean for you when you think about pleasure as resistance? Two things come to mind. One is one of my favorite pleasure professionals on O-School is a group of uh, two, two people called um, Delicia and Rafaela. They live in oh my St. God, Louis. they were just on last Oh my week. gosh, that's so funny. I, I, yeah. I, I'm totally gonna listen to that episode. They are amazing, they are medicine. They're some of my inspiration to, to build O-School. And they always talk about, you know, how can you have political agency, economic agency, professional agency, all the agencies, if you don't have agency over your own body, right? That's, that's a huge one for me that comes to mind is that, you know, we talk a lot about the wage gap and I work in the professional tech, in the tech business world. And there's a lot of discussion about that. Not a lot of discussion about sexuality at all. I remember early in my career, I was starting to find my sexuality. I became very powerful at work. It became very, I just was more decisive. I was able to advocate for myself and others much better. I had more confidence. It was just a total change. And everyone asked, was asking me like, what is, what's your secret? What's going on with you? And I remember feeling like, you know, I, I, I know it's what it is, but I can't talk about it. So I'd make it up like, oh, it's a green juice that I got, or, oh, I'm drink I'm eating those sprouted seeds. You know, you just like make <laughs> something up. You can't say I'm having the best sex of my life, or I'm really starting to figure out, you know, that what my body can do. It's, it's an amazing thing that we don't talk about bodily agency as being kind of a, a, a really huge part of all the other powerful things we want to be able to do in our lives. So I think that's a huge part of it that we've cut the body off of our, of us a little bit when we talk about power and, and sexuality and pleasure is one of the most basic ways that we can exercise our, our power. Uh, secondly, you know, with everything going on in the country right now, with just pick the sexual harassment, Paul, uh, you know, problem of the week, sadly, <laughs> you know, it's just a, just a wild time to be alive where it's just weekly reminders of just how much work we have to do as a society. And there's this overwhelming feeling I get sometimes, which is that what can we really, ex like, it sometimes feels like we can't expect more than just not being harassed or abused right. or violated. It's like we're playing defense often. 
against you know the oppression and the powers that 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 that, that be and I think part of pleasure's resistance is that no 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 it is way more like it is way more than just the freedom of of being free from harassment or abuse or or, or consent being constantly violated we want to pursue pleasure we have more that is and it's for me it's an offense move yeah um against everything that's happening and and you know so much of what's out there is about hiding or denying or downplaying pleasure specifically for people in marginalized bodies and I think you're so right that like when we can start saying like, this is my body and these are my edges and this is what I want. There's so much power in just acknowledging like you deserve to to want those things. You deserve to say you want those things. And that's a really hard thing for so many of us to do, especially when we've been socialized in very specific ways that tell us, you know, we shouldn't speak up and we should just kind of follow and not listen. And, and I think there's, there's kind of this assumption in the world that because we've had shows like sex in the city and, you know, we've had this kind of like third wave feminism and, um, you know, there's just kind of this assumption that like the socialization and kind of patriarchy doesn't really exist as much anymore, at least in pop culture and media. And it absolutely does. It's just become so much more hidden and so much more invisible. And I think that's why people are feeling so shocked by all of these, like basically at this point daily things that are coming out around like sexual harassment from people that we've long considered idols and heroes and artists and realizing that like literally everyone is problematic in some point because the world is problematic. We are built on a culture of problems and like shame and, it's just, it's a fascinating time. You're right to be having these conversations. And I feel like you could either be the kind of person that feels just like overwhelmed and helpless or kind of feel like, okay, this is now the time to actually really start fighting because more and more people are talking about this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, and it's amazing to me too, the, the timing that we, we have, a, you know, we have, we have someone who could not be a, like a, a bigger kind of worry in terms of the future of, of teaching sexual respect in this country in office. <laughs> it's just an amazing, I started O school before the election, Dom. So I could not have, I could not have, you know, imagined that this would be the world that O school be launching in. Um, and it scares me. It scares me, but it also excites me because it means that it, especially the kind of audiences that love O school. I went to Claremont McKenna last week. We O school hosted a sex week there and, you know, close to half the campus came to sex week. And, you know, and at the same time that I'm going into some of the investors that I meet in Silicon Valley, try to convince me that what we are doing at O school is not a, like, is not solving a problem. Mm. Like, so the things that you're saying, like I've been told by very powerful people who've invented some of the best technologies that we all use today. I've talked to them and they say things like, well, you know, these young people, they have YouTube, right? They, they can go, they can get this information. Like you said, like there's this, there's this incorrect assumption that, that young people must be all sexually liberated because internet is here. And, you know, we have, we have open relationships columns in New York times and, and 50 shades of gray outsold Harry Potter and some markets and whatever. Like they, they, there's this assumption yet they, what they don't see is what I just saw at Carmen McKenna with 700 students where they are dying. They're starving for great information and for helpful information about sex and pleasure and not just the mechanics of it. There's this sense of like, oh, well, if they're healthy, what's the big problem, right? Of course, it's mostly cis white men who say these things to me. It's like, oh, I just put it in and it works. Right. What's the problem, right? <laughs> like, um, and and I feel like that a lot. And it, and, it, and it dawns on me like, oh my gosh, like this, like this is this insidious problem with shame, right? There's, mm-hmm. and, and I think there is a problem in that the next generation wants so much more education around this. And I think it also relates to this strange problem we have in society of, of treating children like, or treating youth, like they shouldn't learn anything. And even 18 year olds at legal ages that, you know, why, why give them access to this? And I believe that the right time to, to talk to someone about sex is when they ask at whatever age, at whatever act, there is nothing that's off limits um, in terms of what should be discussed. Yet it's this insidious problem of shame 
that creates all this darkness, all of the silence. And that's why we have the world we have. Yeah. Oh my God. There's so much about that that I love. And like shame, I think is the underlying issue with so many of the questions that I get here on the show. And, you know, I think there's kind of this weird relationship we have with shame where so many of us feel like, well, no, like I'm not ashamed that I'm sexual. I'm not ashamed that I hook up. You know, I'm not ashamed of my genitals or how I orgasm. But then these questions come in around, you know, like, how do I tell so-and-so that, you know, I've been faking my orgasms or how do I deal with a partner who's like super into porn or how do I, you know, X, Y, Z because of my labia. And, you know, what's underneath that is that shame and that fear of either not being good enough or of doing the wrong thing or of, you know, damaging or losing a relationship that you care about, but not realizing that there's so many other opportunities available for either relationships themselves or even just for like attacking these problems that we have at very, very personal level. Like there's multiple solutions to every problem, but because information, good information is so hard to come by when it comes to relationships and sex, it feels very polarizing. Like it's either I'm going to do it right or everything falls apart. Or they're either going to like it or they're going to hate it. And it's just kind of this like this space where because of shame, we tend to think in these very black and white terms and to, to have spaces where we can start just kind of softening that a little bit of like, it's okay if you're in shame and here's some other ways to think about this. You know, I feel like that just creates so much less hurt and that's so much better for connection, which is what we all really need. We all really need connection. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I'm really positive about this future. You know, I get, you know, I get 18 year old cis men walking up to me being like, how can I unlearn this toxic masculinity I know is around me? And it brings me to tears. It it does. I I have hope. I have met the next generation and they, they're listening. They care and they don't want to grow up in the same world that, you know, that we're living in right now. They want to, they want a new world. And so I'm really, I'm really quite optimistic about, the future and that we, we will create it. I I don't believe in five to 10 years, it's going to be how it is now. I believe that there will be spaces and that there's going to be a a massive dialogue happening about this, you know, this, this radical notion that people want connection, sex is good for you. And there's absolutely nothing to be ashamed of with how little or how much sex you want to have. And then no matter type of sex you want to have. So one of the things you've talked about, like you had this great talk at Lesbians Who Tech that I saw, and um, it's in some of the articles I've read about O-School, but this focus on making sure that we're not only making room for talking about pleasure and reducing shame, but also that we're being very trauma aware. And, um, you know, I'm a survivor and I know that so many of the people who listen are as well of a variety of traumas. And I'm wondering, like, what does it look like to kind of think about an online sexuality space where you're being trauma informed? Oh, what a, yeah, it is, it is, it is absolutely our experience that the barrier to pleasure is often something that's happened to us, right? So that can be trauma that comes from like growing up in a in a in a home that has very shameful messages, which is what I experienced growing up in a Filipino Catholic home, all the way to, you know survive, you know, being survivors of sexual assault or other things. So we define um, being trauma-informed in a very wide ar- array of, of of things because so many things that we live in our society cause trauma around sexuality, whether it has to do with our bodies, whether it has to do with our families, or whether it has to do with things that, you know, have really made us feel powerless or violated our, our consent. And so as a, as a community, yeah. that's mean that that's meant a few things for us. Um, it means that we definitely grew our community looking for people who, who could speak to this through lived experience. Um, that was a massive part of, of how we kind of formed the first community. And it also meant that, you know, how we wrote our community guidelines and, and how we really are trying to build consent into the software. Like, how are we going to teach consent to the world if we don't build it into our software as much as we can, right? That's one of the, the kind of yeah. more um, integrated ways that we think about being trauma-informed. It's really interesting because I think often 
you know, I think oftentimes when it comes to books about sex, programs about sex, um, sex education in so many spaces, the marginalized voices are kind of this asterisk that gets thought about after, right? So I want to create this workshop that's about orgasms. And then afterwards, someone says, well, you know, what about asexual folks? And so there's this kind of like little one-liner that you just throw in so you can like check the box or what about trans bodies? And you just throw in a little one thing. And, and I think often trauma is approached that way too, of like, I want to teach this thing or write a book about this thing. And then afterwards, like, oh yeah, folks with trauma, I'll just put in this little, you know, like shout out box or this little kind of like appendix for trauma folks. And so I think it's so important for all of us who are having these conversations, like whether it's as a professional who's teaching classes online or in person or writing books, and even just like in our personal lives, if we can start approaching these conversations, kind of thinking about the most marginalized and the potential for trauma in the conversation before we initiate, it comes out so much more powerful. And so I love that that's kind of been something you've built in from the very beginning of we're going to think about this from the ground up about harassment, about trauma, about shame, and then try and address from there. Because I think where we get it wrong so often is we don't think about it until someone brings it up because they've been harmed and we're like, Oh yeah, well I'll just throw in this little thing and hope that's good enough. I think, thank you, Don. I agree. And what's, what's kind of important about all of this too, is that you will reach larger communities. If you focus on trauma, on shame, there are more traumatized and ashamed people than there are sexually liberated people because of the society we live in. That is just the reality. Like people who who think that oh, if only women had enough erotic products, or if only had if only queer people had this or that, they they they're kind of make this it seem like um, you know they're that it, it's all you know pleasure should be this always this erotic, very titillating, very arousing thing. But I find that the barrier in my conversations with people in these communities is that the biggest barriers to pleasure are not, an, you know, not just access to these things. That's part of it. I believe that. But it's also, we need to acknowledge that we live in a society where, you know, what are the stats these days? Like one in four people or one in three people will somehow experience, mm-hmm. um, you know, sexual assault. You have all of these, these statistics and it gets even worse if you go into communities of color and other marginalized communities. And so I think there's this misconception that, oh, if you reach these communities, it's somehow niche. Yeah. And that's bullshit. That's absolutely not true if yeah. you look at kind of all of the issues that communities face. And so not just from a business case, I just think it's just misinformed to think that when you build, um, when you, when you build for communities and you, and you ignore these things that um, you're actually missing out on most people. You're missing yeah. the problem altogether. Well, and like, that's how we got here in the first place, right? I mean, like so much of the sex research in quotes that like, Everything that we kind of know at a pop culture on a media level, media level, are built on studies that were conducted on like 18-year-old cis men who were able-bodied and white. And so like if everything we know about arousal is based on an 18-year-old white cis dude from like the 40s, and if everything we know about like sexual attraction is based on these studies that like focused on dudes, no wonder all of us feel like something's not right or like we're broken. And so all of the articles and all of the television shows are kind of talking about all the ways to fix ourselves. And when we approach it from like, well, how could we maybe talk about sex in a way that is inclusive of like indigenous, trans, intersex, uh, you know, older bodies? Well, guess what? A lot of the stuff that works for those folks is going to work for everyone else. So like we're all winning in that situation. And it's just like, it's so baffling and angering to me that so much of the information we have is based on such a tiny subset of the world. And yet that's what's taught as what we should all be aspiring to. Absolutely. And, and again, this, this idea that for something to be sexy, you can't talk about these issues. We made a very conscious decision not to put like certain tags on things that are, uh, you know, LGBTQ or asexual or because they should be integrated in, in, in the site like in general, right? Like you should learn about kink through all of these different lenses. 
Like there is no, you should learn about yeah. Tantra and all of these different lenses. And the more that we just start normalizing that, I mean, everyone's kinky. Like I've talked to therapists, I've talked to people who've worked with some of the most powerful people in the world and everybody has these, these, these issues, but it's, it's almost like we're just so preoccupied with pretending like, no, 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 like, like everything's fine. Like this is, this is how things are going to, these are things, this is how things work. And, um, that's just not true. Yeah. That's just not, that's just not really, uh, what, what is real, what is, what is true. And I'm really excited to bring the powers of, of great empathy driven sex, positive, inclusive sex education to the world. And this is one of our main messages that you can't just watch a recorded video about body shame and just know like, Oh yeah, great. All good. Like this is a process of Mm -hmm. constant healing. And even me and even, you know, the people who are sex educators that we work with or ex sex workers or all of the people, or, you know, all the people that are, are working with us, we're all, it's all a constant process. And, and that's what I think is also a misconception that, oh yeah, like, why don't you just go to a doctor and get that fixed? Or it's like a one-time thing, like, oh, that's, that's a weird thing that you have, go fix it. But if you've been kind of fed harmful messages for a decade, it is a lifelong process to unlearn it. Yep. It's lifelong and it's daily because every single day when we wake up, there's another joke about small dicks or there's another how-to article about the things that you're doing that aren't right or some way you need to change your body in order to be sexier. I mean, like literally every day when we wake up, we're bombarded with these very subtle messages that reinforce all the ways that we're not good enough or we're, we're broken or we're not exciting enough or we're not sexual enough. And so this kind of like waking up and education and unlearning and rewriting, like we have to choose to do it every single day. And sometimes we're tired and sometimes you just kind of like, I'm going to ignore the world for a little while, but then you come back to it and you learn again and you have new conversations. And so like anytime we have an opportunity for these spaces, whether it's podcasts or O school or, you know, wherever else people are teaching to like have the ongoing dialogue so that we can all just kind of get refed and re-nourished and kind of to keep doing the rewriting, I think is a win because we, it's, it, it doesn't stop. It's not like one and done, which I think is another place where people kind of feel like, well, if I take this one class, then I'm going to be, I'm going to know all the things about blowjobs. And like, that's not how it works because like every single person that you're going to give a blowjob to is different. So we have to always be Everything learning. Everything is shifting to gender and like in my, you know, in, in people, like all of the things about identities that are coming out and, and how people express themselves. It's a beautiful thing, but it also makes me feel like we have so much work to do to be prepared for all of this, <laughs> all of this like new openness and flexibility that, that, that makes me excited about being a human for the next however many years I'm going to be alive. And I'm, I'm so grateful to be part of a community with you and other people who are beacons of permission for people to start talking about it because it's so not happening on, on major platforms. Well, I would love it if you would share with everyone how they can find you online, learn all about O School and kind of follow along with your amazing launch and journey. I would love to. So today you just have to go to o.school and we will be streaming at 4 p.m. I will be streaming first and then there will be you know three more streams after me. And starting today, every day from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific, we will be streaming on the hour. And I'm really looking forward to uh, meeting some of you in the chat there. Well, everybody who's listening, I, of course, will have links at sexgetsreal.com. Please go check out O School live streams every night. So there's so many delicious things for you to learn and roll around in. Please go geek out with Andrea and all of the other educators there. If you have any questions or comments, you can leave that to me on the contact form. You know, I love hearing from you. So send those over. Andrea, I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about O School and all of your like big, huge plans for world domination. I love it. Thank you so much, Don. It was a pleasure. And again, I'm a huge fan of the work you do. Thank you. You're so welcome. And to everybody who listened, thanks for tuning in. I, of course, will talk to you next week. Bye.